Hello, and welcome to the John 315 Podcast, the show where we break open the mysteries of the most popular and misunderstood Bible verses and put them back into context. I am your host. They call me Jonathan Has a Father Van Shank. Now, we also have a co-host. They call him Jeremy Is Sick Swingle. But before I ask him why they call him Jeremy Is Sick Swingle, we have a third member of the podcast today. That is our very special Tim the Guest Van Shank. Now, Tim, why do they call you the Guest Van Shank? I think they call me the Guest Van Shank because I'm a guest on <laughs> yes, that is that is correct. So for the John 315 podcast today, we're trying something new. We've invited on my father, Tim Van Shank, to the podcast, and uh, uh, he is going to be uh, taking us on a wild tour through uh, uh, some great biblical materials. And, uh, um, you know, I actually don't know very much about what it's going to be yet. So it's going to be a fun time. Wait, wait, wait. So all of a sudden, this is starting to make sense to me. When your John has a father, Van Shank, because... Tim is your father. Yes. Wow. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> we just have the most creative nicknames this uh, this episode, don't we? Now, Jeremy, why do they call you the sick swingle? Is is that because you're feeling ill or because you were like super cool in the 90s and uh, early 2000s? I'll leave it up to the audience to tell from my voice. <laughs> 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 Thankfully, we're on the tail end of this cold, so uh, I'm feeling okay, but... Uh, I am happy we have a guest to carry some of the speaking work <laughs> this episode. I will be, I will be honest. <laughs> for sure. Well, for the first part of the podcast, we typically do some small chat uh, uh, here. So, hey, Dad, do you have uh, any good small chat for us to talk about? <laughs> well, I kind of do. Um, so this, uh, this summer, I've been trying to dig into my Bible and find some fun things to do. And uh, so one of the things I found was um, some paradoxes in Scripture. And we're actually going to be looking at one tonight. And I was thinking, you know, it's summertime. And during summertime, we have popsicles and fudgicles, fudgesicles. So I thought it would be kind of cool if we did some paradoxicals this summer. <laughs> so I've got one of those for you guys tonight. Oh, that's great. Some good dripping, like frozen, just sticks of paradox. Yes, and hopefully we will not induce any brain freeze tonight. That's true, that's true. You know, it, it, it can get a little sticky and icky on your hands sometimes, but it's, it's definitely worth really <laughs> wading into it. There you go. You got it. <laughs> so good. So, um... Speaking of paradoxes, you know, you guys, Jeremy, John, you guys might know about some paradoxes. I know about two of them. Uh, one of them is called the liar paradox. And the liar paradox is interesting. It goes simply goes like this. I make a statement. I am lying. And so am I lying that I'm lying or am I not lying? In which case I'm lying. <laughs> you guys get the idea? Yeah, yeah, totally. This is, um, it reminds me in, um, uh, uh, it was in, 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 uh, modern mathematics. I, I think it's in set theory that you have like the, the, the set that, or what, what, what is it that it's the, the set of all things that like do not contain themselves. And the question is like, is the set inside of itself? And it's like, oh, okay, yes. I'm, I'm not doing justice to this right now, but I think Bertrand <laughs> Russell would, would do much better than me in explaining yes. this. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I vaguely remember something about that set theory thing, but I have to be honest, I'm teaching geometry and algebra, and I don't get to teach much set theory stuff in school, which is too bad, which is too bad. 
The other paradox I know about is called the Pinocchio paradox. And uh, so it goes like this. There's Pinocchio standing there and he says, my nose will grow. <laughs> so if his, if his nose grows, he's lying, but then he's telling the truth. But if his nose doesn't grow, then he's lying, but he's telling the truth. All right. I got the answer to this one. All right. I got the answer to this one. All right. You ready? Okay, so a lie is not necessarily an incorrect statement. Those are different things. So the blue fairy, or I, I might be remembering the story wrong, but isn't like the blue fairy who made it so that he can't lie or his nose will grow? Um, so I think what she intended by that is like, not that Pinocchio will understand everything correctly and only say right things, but if he deliberately says something he knows to be false, then that's a lie. So maybe Pinocchio doesn't know the future exhaustively, and thus his nose will not grow. But that's not a contradiction. That could very yeah. That could be a solution to that paradox. I never thought about it that way. That's good. So if so, if our Lord Jesus Christ's nose grew every time he told a lie, then he couldn't say my nose will grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Assuming he has a messianic understanding of himself, which he does as a very young child. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you guys always bring this stuff back to theology, man. You guys are killing me. It's awesome. <laughs> well, what good is theology if you don't have some paradoxes, right? There you go. And, and, and there are actually a number of them in Scripture. We're going to look at one of them tonight, and I'll tell it to you in a few minutes. But first, I also... The other thing I wanted to do by way of warming up was to kind of ask Jonathan and Jeremy just a couple of questions, and uh, we might use their answers later, or we might <laughs> not. But So the first question I have for you guys, uh, this will be for uh, 10 points. Um, tell me who your, who your favorite Old Testament character was who won a big battle. Favorite Old Testament character who won a big battle. So how do we know, like, if we... Like, we just get 10 points if we answer at all. How do you know <laughs> what the right answer is? <laughs> oh, there. Oh, yeah. Th sorry. This, this is well, not if a we, this If we say it wrong, quiz. our nose will grow. Yeah, there's not a quiz. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, you guys answering gets you the points. You're good. All right. Now I got to think about it. You have one, John? Yeah. No, no. This is, this is a hard one. I, feel, I, I like, I need a week to prep on this one. Well, so I'll give like kind of the easier answer uh, to you know, just snipe one from John. But uh, how could it not be the judge Ehu in the book of Judges, right? So, uh, there you go. dude, like we got to do a podcast episode one day praising this man, Ehu, John. Uh, <laughs> but he's he's the dude who like uh, pretended to. Oh, man, I can't even remember every detail of the story. Anyways, the, the conclusion is he shoves a sword into the belly of a really fat king who was oppressing the people of God. And then all of the, the you know, content of the bowels uh, spilled out onto the floor. And he was able to escape without being detected by the guards because all the guards thought that the king was relieving himself. It's just like <laughs> one of the greatest stories. Like Hollywood, it, it, it speaks Hashtag a lot. Hashtag that's in the Bible. <laughs> It speaks to the values <laughs> of Hollywood that they haven't put literally the greatest story ever to a movie yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ehud should be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All right. Okay. Okay. I think I have my answer, but um, I, I may be misremembering this one. Uh, so we continue the trend of Jonathan not knowing the Old Testament as well as he should. Uh, but this is so, okay. Who, who was it that they they were routing in uh, an army 
And was it that somebody prayed and asked that the sun wouldn't set so that they could keep spanking the like the people that they were fighting? And so then the sun like didn't set for some period of time so that the Israelites could just absolutely demolish some people. Who uh, is is this I bringing that was in Joshua? Is oh is that just is that just Joshua? It could just be Joshua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could just be Joshua. That's right. I was thinking of, I was thinking of. Uh, it was was a King Hezekiah who asked the sun to go the wrong way up the steps or something. That's the story I was getting mixed up there. I think. Yeah, I just googled it's it. Joshua. It's Joshua. Awesome. Thank, thank you for the, thank you for the reference. Those are, those are good. And I didn't mean to test your guys' Old Testament. Uh, experience, but later on in the podcast, I'm going to talk a couple, about a couple people. From it's here. okay, Dad. We routinely attempt to one up each other on this podcast, so it's it's perfectly fine for you to just take some time to dunk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my second question is a would you rather question. So, and this one is there's no right answer. It's just whatever you think. So here's the question, and and this is a question I got. Do I, do I still get me. ten points if I answer it right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I'd take a hundred. Okay, good, good. So uh, it was my nephew who actually posed this question to me. As a matter of fact, just uh, earlier today, it goes like this: Would you rather have to fight a chicken to the death every time you get into your automobile, or <laughs> fight a chimpanzee <laughs> to the death once a year with a sword? Which would you rather? Oh, chimpanzee, hands down, because I get a sword in that one, dude. <laughs> I mean, I just want to—I just want to be able to swing a sword once a year. Oh yeah, absolutely. You—you can learn how. Well, I'll tell you what—you have, on average, you have <laughs> six months to learn how to use the sword. Because that chimp, because 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 old uh, Clyde, uh, old Clyde can show up anytime <laughs> during the year. You know. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Okay. Old Clyde. <laughs> no, go ahead. I know what you're gonna say. Go ahead. So I feel like this. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, Tim. Not to not to destroy. <laughs> not to not to destroy your would you rather, but this one is way too easy, dude. Like the chimpanzee, hands down, and no pun intended there. Um, because so think about the chicken, right? Not only is it every time you get in your car, which for like working Americans is at minimum twice a day, like six days a weekish, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like, right. okay, so it's gonna peck at you, and you're gonna be fine, but it'll hurt, you know. It'll, <laughs> it won't be a fun day, and then there's just gonna be chicken blood all over <laughs> the interior of your car <laughs> all the time. It's gonna smell like the worst thing, because I mean, I imagine you just like wring its neck or whatever. Like that'd probably be the quickest way to kill a All chicken with your bare hands, everything. and so it's just gonna be everywhere. It's gonna be on you. You're gonna like have to show up at the office and explain yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Whereas the chimpanzee, if you got death. a sword and you know how to use it, I feel like one good slash, and the chimpanzee is just gonna run away. So I, <laughs> oh, fight to the death. I, it's yeah. Even there, it's like. Y y You'll come out of it not looking too good, but, but at least you don't have to do it in your car. <laughs> well, I, I have a very important clarifying question that may change my answer. Does the chimpanzee also get a sword? He does not. He's just a oh, chimpanzee. Okay, okay. okay, then yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ch chimpanzee. Yeah, I, I picked the chimpanzee <laughs> too, because I thought I had more of a fighting chance against a chimpanzee when I had a sword than I have against a chicken. And I used to have chickens, so I know all about that. 
resident <laughs> expert. <laughs> Tim, the chicken expert, Van Schenk. All right. So last question, and this goes a little bit more towards what we're going to be talking about tonight. So think for a minute and, you know, don't go on and on. It doesn't have to be a long story, but what's a story that you have from your life when you had a moment where you were kind of humble? Right now, when I'm trying to think about what to say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh man, this is this went really quickly from like chimpanzee combat to like the depths of my soul. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting this to turn into like a Wesleyan class meeting all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Am I gonna get like an accountability partner or something? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk after the call. I can I can talk. No, no. The the <laughs> accountability is that you can't think of a humbling story. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's a problem. This one time I was trying to kill a chimpanzee with a sword. And I just <laughs> and oh, I just I awesome. just like you know I I ended up surviving I won the battle but it was you know there you go I gotta practice my skills that's the, that's a humbling moment go. yeah well I I'll I'll come back to it later on maybe you guys will think of something as we as we move along cut the chit chat let's crack open the word the the verse we're gonna be looking at tonight and I know what you guys like to do on your podcast I'm gonna try to stay kind of in bounds there where I bring up a verse of scripture, and then we're going to take a look at some of the context around the verse to help us understand what the verse is talking about a little bit better. And so our, um, I call it the Pauline paradox, mm. and uh, I'm, I'm looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. And there Paul writes, For when I am weak... Then I am strong. It's time for the meat. So one of the things about paradoxes is, and if you look up the dictionary definition of a paradox, it's, um, you know, it's a statement that seems contradictory, but when you chew on it a little bit, it's actually a true, true statement. And um, so when you think about Paul's statement here, for when I'm weak, then I am strong, it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because if you take a look at what's going on in the world, um, weakness is not really a good thing, is it? Weakness is a bad thing, right? And strength, on the other hand, is a good thing. And you can think about this, you know, physically or emotionally, um, intellectually, or even spiritually, right? And so if you think about physically, I was thinking about, you know, action heroes from movies, and you can you can think about those guys. They're all, you know, muscly like The Rock or Arnold Schwarzenegger or any of those guys. Right. They're very infrequently. Are they somebody who is, you know, physically diminutive? Maybe I'm, I'm thinking of some of the people in X-Men that might that might break that rule. But but in general, you know, our, our famous action heroes are all physically strong people. Um, and not weak, right? And you, you think about um, also emotionally, right? Weakness emotionally is not really a good thing either, is it? I mean, you probably you may have people or you may have friends uh, who, uh, well, let's just uh, let's just say they might be you might classify them as high maintenance friends, right? Like John, not very emotionally strong. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah very oh, high okay. maintenance. So <laughs> there you go. So, um, or you know, you can think about 
intellectual weakness, right? To be a person who isn't intellectually, what do you want to say, strong is also a big weakness in our culture. Yeah, isn't like it? like Jeremy. Um, oh wow. <laughs> This is not going the direction that I want. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this one time I was really humbled when one right. of my best friends said I was weak. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. I'll just jot that story. Um, so, um, but you, but you guys are aware of that, right? That, that that weakness is typically a bad thing, and strength is typically a good thing. Sure, so, sure. It's you like know, you know, you know, these... it's it's sort of like what you would want to aspire to. It's like you know, who who aspires to being weak? like physically or emotionally like oh, i mean like you may it. be physically weak but you know I, I it's hard for me to think of somebody being like oh yeah i'm just so proud of the fact that i am physically weak yeah right and i mean you can think about movies where the hero he starts off weak and then he builds up some strength you know i'm thinking of movies where they become martial arts like karate kid or something right and then they're strong at the end of the movie and then they're this big hero right yeah so you don't do that the backwards way so, you know, we're thinking about, you know, so, so for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, so, so what are we talking about here? Right. And, um, so, uh, I wanted to do just a little bit of context here before I dive into kind of some more details here. But, um, so in this part of second Corinthians, um, Paul is doing, is, this is chapters 10 through 12 in second Corinthians, right? And Paul is actually going through a whole series of, um, kind of arguments, discussions, defending his ministry and his apostleship. And so he's talking about things like the worldly thinking versus, you know, I call it kingdom thinking, right? Having Christ at the center of, of my thinking and my arguments and my, and my work, right? He also has to defend his teaching, right? People said he was strong in letters and weak in person, right? Um, there were other teachers coming around. And so Paul had to say some things about those other false apostles, right? And so um, he also talks about his suffering. There's that fantastic passage in 2 Corinthians 11 where he goes, kind of goes on and on and on about being shipwrecked and beaten and in danger and labored and toiled and gone without sleep. There's that great set of verses in 11. He's almost boasting about all those sufferings, right? And then at the very end, he kind of talks about his weakness. So in those, you know, so, and then there's this, and then there's this verse, it's kind of at the end of chapter 12, right? And so it's kind of near the end of all of this defense and stuff. And Paul comes up with the statement, for when I am weak, then I am strong, right? And, and, and so he's in this process of defending his ministry and talking about, his ministry and his apostleship and everything. And then he kind of works it down to this. We're going to look at the last four verses in Second um, Corinthians chapter uh, 12, verses 7 through 10, to kind of hone in on this weakness being strength thing. Um, but I did want to give a little bit of background about what's going on kind of in the couple chapters before that. Um, and so let's go ahead and read through Great. So let's read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I'll start in verse 7, and we'll go up to our, our target verse of verse 10 here. So starting in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh oh, I see a four there. That's our favorite word on this podcast. I know it is. I know <laughs> it is. And those, I know it is your favorite word. Um, and so it's interesting because in addition to this being a paradox, it's also a conditional, isn't it? Because there's, there's a for then, which I noticed in that verse too, right? So there's, there's, there's something of a cause and effect in here that I kind of keyed on. And so, you know, you know what I mean? Because it says for then. It's not if then. Right, it's a it's for that, but it's still kind of a a, a conditional statement too. Well, and in the verse uh, leading up to so, it, you have for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, I'm content with this. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So it's like uh, I delight in these things which make me weak, because those things make me strong in Christ. Is kind of the flow of thought here. In Christ, right. Oh, okay. Well, and so, yeah, and, that, and I kind of, I kind of picked up on that too, because, you know, really, um, one of the things that I noticed when I was reading this verse was actually kind of in verse seven, um, when he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. And so you, you know, we, he doesn't want to become conceited, right? So the opposite of conceited is humble, right? And so it kind of occurs to me that what he's talking about here is about being humble, right? So there's this, idea of humility and in a lot of pla in a lot of places in our culture a lot of people um equate humility with weakness right and i kind of think they're two separate things but they do have some things in common right and um so i thought that that was kind of interesting and in the first couple verses you know paul says so to keep me from becoming conceited because of these revelations. And then I'll talk about the revelations in a sec. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He kind of says that twice, doesn't he? So Paul gets this thorn in his flesh, right? And it's there to keep him from, to be it, to keep him from becoming conceited. And uh, I don't think you guys might know a little bit more about this than me, but I'm not aware that we know what that thorn in the flesh was. I do. Oh, you do? Do tell. Definitively. What's that? Every time Paul got in a car, he had to fight to the death with the chicken. See? That's what it was. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, gosh. that's You, you know, you got to write the, write the scholars and let them know that. A rooster tooth in the flesh every time he there gets in that go. car, right? I pleaded with the Lord about this, but he said, you chose it on the would you rather. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord is uh, strictly bound to would you rather rules. The... <laughs> well, but maybe he made it. The scripture speaks regularly of the divine. Would you rather, <laughs> you know, and the law of the Lord cannot be broken. <laughs> Every time you get in the car, <laughs> <laughs> would you rather perish in your sin or repent and believe in Christ? See, there you go. That's another Ooh, good one. There you go. Yeah, I, I think I know that <laughs> one. Um, so this thorn, though, I, you know, nobody really knows what it is. Some people think it's a physical thing. Some people think he had, like, back problems or he had some kind of physical limitation. Um, other people say that uh, he was actually quite un uh, – he, he wasn't a very good-looking guy. So his thorn in the flesh was that he was kind of ugly and he might have had a hooked nose and a hump. I mean, people have made a lot of speculations about 
what that thorn in the flesh could be. But whatever it is, it was something there to remind him to do what? To stay humble, right? And that's kind of the theme, I think, that I want to drive home as we're talking here is that as, as Christians, we need to stay humble, right? In our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Yeah. So I, I have a fairly strong opinion, although it is, it is not uh, a matter of immense importance <laughs> of theology or anything, but I, I definitely like have always thought Paul is talking about something physical, like uh, an ailment, uh, malady, of some sort, um, just because he uses the word thorn, <laughs> you know, uh, a messenger of Satan too. And like, you know, the idea of uh, illness was particularly associated with uh, satanic and demonic activity in in Paul's day. Still is today, of course, uh, we, <laughs> not popular to talk about it that way, but but I, I still think so. Well, right. But, uh, but so I think, you know, the way Paul describes it to me, it sounds like a thing that prevents him from serving the Lord the way he wants to, um, right. And getting his missions work done, you know? Right. And it could right. be a million things. <laughs> oh, like sure. It, it's yeah. probably embarrassing or not fun to talk about. Right. <laughs> Otherwise right. he would tell us. Right. Right. Yeah. It was interesting that he, that he doesn't really specify and maybe it is something that was really embarrassing for him. Right. Um, and then the other thing I thought it was interesting was, well, so can I, can I jump in real quick? This, Oh yeah, please do, please do. Because because one of the things that that really stands out to me that that I, I I think is interesting, kind of reading it through this reading through it this time around, is I'm uh, I, I'm struck by this like you know the thorn you know it says was given me in the flesh, um, and so you know there's there's no clear or there's there's no dire, uh, um, immediate subject to that verb you know like we get the object of of Paul he's the one who's receiving it but it's just this gift you know that's being given to him. But but it's fascinating that like you know then we get the clarifier that the gift is a messenger of Satan to harass me, and it, hmm. I don't know it's like in the first half of the verse you get this you know a, a it's a thorn was given me in the flesh which um I, I I don't know just taking that as it is seems to be this thing of like uh, oh it's it's the Lord who is his giving Paul this thing and, and I I think that also fits in well with this idea of like to keep him from being conceited like this is a a uh, uh, an element of sanctification in Paul's life, um, you know, you know that th th that's working, and and you know, typically it's like you know we see that it's the Spirit who does that work of sanctification, and so it would almost lend it to be like the subject is is the Lord who is giving this thorn to Paul, but so it's fascinating then that it's also described as being a messenger of Satan, so you know that would almost seem that it's like well who's the one who's giving this to Paul. Or, you know, you know, who is the active agent, like, working this thing out in Paul's life, but, you know, Satan. So, I don't know, that, that, that's really fascinating to me. I think it it connects a little bit for me with one of the previous podcast episodes that we talked about of the idea of, uh, like, temptation or, like, testing. Um, and how there's kind of this weird, you know, it, it it's a little hard to get your, your hands around, I think, in some passages about, you're like, oh, is, it, is the Lord tempting me? But, like. James says the Lord doesn't tempt us. And so, you know, so how do we kind of make sense of that? This like bad thing that seems to have the Lord as the subject of it. And even this case where it's like even more specific, like, no, 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 like this is Satan working, you know, doing this thing. And yet it still seems as though God is the one who is in control of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Or at least it's ordaining it. Yeah. It's interesting that it's in that passive 
kind of voice. And, and like I said, I don't know my Greek, but you know, a thorn was given me. So that's in the passive voice. And as you noted, it doesn't say who gave it. It's kind of open, right? Why don't I look it up in the Greek right now? Well, you could. Live, live exegesis. There you go. There Let's we go. Do it live. Live. Awesome. While you're doing that, let me just note that, uh, you know, in verse eight, he says that he pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And what was God's answer? Was no. <laughs> so it kind of made me, it kind of made me think about things in my life that I've prayed about to have end or to have stopped or to be taken away uh, or sometimes to be given me, right? And God's answer was no. You know, God answered the prayer, not the answer necessarily that I was looking for though, right? And that happens a lot of times in life. I know it happens with me a lot. I'm pleased to report that it's a passive. <laughs> it and, is And passive. the ESV okay. is a very, very direct, straightforward translation here. A thorn was yeah, given yeah. to me in the flesh or given me in the flesh, so... Right. Yeah. So I was going to look, I was going to look in my, the other translation I use, which I know is not the, the favorite translation on this podcast, but, uh, so which one would yeah, that be? was given me a thorn. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a, it's one that starts with the word new, but, oh, um, well, it's a new okay, old translation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't like that one. You know, no, I'm just, just teasing, you guys. I'm just teasing you guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So, and it was, it was the same in that one. So, um, so anyway, so he has this thing to stay humble now. And I, I don't know, do, do you guys have a preference if I do my applications as I go, or should I do them at the end? Uh, do you care either Classically, way? we've done them at the end, although we're sort of realizing right. we do them <laughs> along the way. Yeah, we're, as you so go, we're, sort we're of changing, changing the format, that. so we're just mix them in. All right, I'll mix them in then, because, you know, kind of a, maybe uh, an application here is... Do, do I have a thorn? What's what's my thorn, right? Or, or do I have one? Do I have a disability or a lack or something that, that God is using to teach me something? And specifically, you know, I'm thinking of on, on, on our talk today, teaching me to be humble, right? Is God using some thing in my life to teach me to be humble, right? So um, one of the... Uh, uh, one of my stories of a humbling moment that I asked you guys about, so I promise I won't ask you guys anything I won't ask myself. Um, I had an opportunity um, at a church I used to attend. Uh, they had a talent show night. And so I decided to go up and to do a, a comedy routine. And uh, a lot of people have told me I'm funny and uh, that I'm you know fun to talk to and stuff. And I thought, why don't I just go up and do some jokes and everything? And um, so uh, my my lack there is I'm a little bit of a procrastinator, right? Oh, and, gosh. Uh, and I'm so busy. And so I did not prepare as much as I should have. Now, I did prepare some, but not as much as I should have. And so the combination of my lack of preparation and my nervousness of being up there on stage and everybody looking at me and all the things I didn't think about from that point of view – uh, meant at the end that uh, well, let's just say it did not go, did not go very well, um, and I was pretty <laughs> after that. I was pretty humbled, like uh, yeah, could have done a lot better on that. So um, that's like my worst fear, and I've never tried stand-up comedy, but I'm pretty sure bombing at stand-up comedy would be the absolute worst thing. Oh yeah, to ever no, it's it's a scary thing. I mean, I, I make a joke <laughs> in my class now. If I tell a joke and nobody laughs, I say, oh. 
do you guys want me to explain the joke? Cause you must not have gotten it. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I did that one day and one of the students said, um, I'm sorry, Ms. Manchanka. No, it just wasn't that funny. And then I went, well, it was, a, and then I said, well, it was a dad joke. So it wasn't supposed to be funny. So I was able to correct, but. So, like you'll, you'll like, appreciate it once you have kids. <laughs> exactly. There you go. There you go. Dad jokes only need to be funny to the dad. That's the right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to the, other dads. The, the dad, the dad is the primary audience of the dad joke. Exactly. <laughs> so, so all well, that to say, yeah, you well, know, sometimes sometimes we have those things, or there, you know, it, the Thor doesn't have to be an ongoing thing. It can be a one-time event, right? Something that comes along to teach you, right, to be humble, and um. You know, and so sometimes we look at some of the negative things in our lives and we tend to grouse about them or complain about them or maybe even, heaven forbid, you know, kind of blame God for them. But they're there. They're meant to teach us. Right. And so, you know, it's just a good reminder to me to kind of just reconsider those kind of things in my life. So. So. Well, I think I think for me, now that we're talking about it, now I have like an answer to your question. Um be, and it's I, it feels like kind of what I at least what I think Paul is going through here, because I have chronic illness. Um, I have an autoimmune disease, and I won't you know bore the people on the podcast with <laughs> the, all the details. The details, but but uh, it, it definitely uh, like I I developed it when I was in college and kind of a, I was twenty years old, sort of the peak of a uh, peak of one's uh, youthful optimism and. Uh, energy and it's just it's probably halved my productiveness oh wow um and, you know and since then it's been a, a long crawl up to kind of like figuring out how to handle my life but i'm just i'm tired a lot more than the average person you can hear it in my voice now uh, i get colds like twice as often as my wife <laughs> oh, and wow. they last for like two weeks like they just <laughs> never go away so there's a lot that like you know, it's, I'm fine. I'm really blessed. Right. Uh, I probably don't have it nearly as bad as whatever Paul was dealing with. And I was never shipwrecked and stoned almost to death. And well, so know, there you so. go. <laughs> but it's definitely like, yeah, if there's no purpose in my illness, other than to cause me to realize that my ability to hit the ground running and do things is not the, the cause of my salvation or the cause of the good of the world around me, right? Ultimately, right. but it's God. Well, if that's the only purpose of that suffering, then that's a very worthwhile purpose. Amen. Right? If it's just to keep me humble, just to keep me realizing that I have no control over even what happens to my own body, right? Like, I mean, that's a, a bit of an exaggeration. We have lots of control over it, but ultimately we don't have control. Yeah. Well, thank, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, and uh, but thank you for sharing that because I think it's a good um, illustration about something that is not really in our control, and hopefully those kind of things force us to lean on God more, right? I think it has. <laughs> so that's good. That's that's then that's that's good out of it. But uh, I would also point out that though there there is a obviously uh, a sinful response <laughs> that happens to hardship as well um it, it, you know it's kind of like john and i were talking about temptations and trials in an earlier episode uh and how trials are sort of like you know it's almost like this era of of, of one's life it can be where 
things just kind of buffet at you. And the Lord is sort of just trying to figure out like, is he gonna is he gonna keep the faith? Is he gonna keep his relationship with me? You know? And the Lord knows the answer, but the proof's in the pudding, mm-hmm. right? He has to go have us go through that. Um and some people break under it and leave the faith. Like that it, it says suffering's a real litmus test. Um so it's it, it's interesting that it doesn't always have the effect that it had on Paul. Sometimes thorns in the flesh uh, <laughs> cause someone to curse God and die. That's the Job's wife response. But then there's the, also the Job response of praise God anyways. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again for that. No problem. John, you got to answer now <laughs> at some point. You gotta... <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I, I do actually have my humbling story now. I've, I, I thought of it. Um, so it was, uh, uh, so this is a, a humbling story that happens, um, not infrequently these days, actually. So, um, uh, just at the beginning of this year, I started doing, uh, uh, started doing CrossFit, um, uh, you know, just as a way of, of, you know, trying to exercise and, and, you know, getting better health. Um, and, uh, if, if any of you out there have done CrossFit before or have seen CrossFit, you know that there are a lot of people who do CrossFit who are just like monstrously fit, uh, <laughs> it just like absolutely stacked. They could, you know, just, you know, one pinky pull ups and you know, just like wild, wild amounts of strength. And it's like, you know, I'm like not, I'm not a weak guy by any means, but like, I don't hold a candle to a lot of these, like, you know, people who've been doing CrossFit for years. And, uh, and so it's, it is, it is humbling to go to like a CrossFit class and, you know, just be like working as hard as you can and be, you know, just like putting everything you have into this workout and be like, man, I was doing like a third of the weight and half the reps as these other people. And I'm like dying right now. <laughs> and, you know, and they're doing just fine. And it's just like, oh, it's, 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 it's so ego crushing, <laughs> you know, yeah. to just see like the hardest that you can do just like be no comparison to you know some of the other people who are just like super capable at you know doing this thing and you know and and to be fair it's like you know they put in the hard work and you know have really taken the time to develop this fitness and you know and and the goal is to kind of like reach that point in the future but i mean definitely for right now it's like uh uh <laughs> it is it is definitely very humbling um yeah. you know but and and maybe to you know connect it around of of the of the uh you know, part of that humbling experience though is, you know, I, like, I wonder, like, I've, I've thought about this a lot kind of over the years of, uh, like exercising or like running or, you know, things like that. And, you know, I think about like, why, why is it that, that exercise is hard and, um, you know, like, like, why is this like arduous? Um, I, you know, you know, I, because it, it doesn't seem necessarily obvious to me that it should be part of nature that, like exercise is hard, but it is the case that exercise is hard. And so I don't know. I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about yeah. this, particularly when I'm in the middle of a run and uh, <laughs> I want to stop running, <laughs> you know, but it's almost like, it's almost like the point of exercise. If you're doing it in a way to gain is like, hitting your breaking point right? yes yeah totally. it's like if we if we wanted right. to super theologize it philosophize <laughs> it it's like you're you're breaking yourself down to be built up you know yeah yeah like it really that, that is what you're doing yes yeah and 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 for me it's i i think there is something in the 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 breaking of of your of yourself that is 
valuable um because like like I've, I've thought about this a lot like especially like near the ends of runs or something when i'm like really exhausted it's like I, I spend a lot of time thinking about my own breathing and you know like oh man it's like it's it's hard to like get enough breath to you know be able to keep running but like uh, like it is this wonderful gift that i can breathe and <laughs> i know there's something about getting at the end of a cardiovascular right, right. workout where you do actually appreciate every single breath and I, I don't know so for me it's like it really is this directing like my thoughts to to christ of of uh you know that i i can i can in those moments legitimately thank god for my breath um you know and i, I don't know maybe maybe this is getting a little corny but i don't know you're getting you're getting honest jonathan <laughs> no no I, I i think this is great dude uh i i can't remember which of the pastoral epistles it's in uh, but it's one of the first second Timothy Titus, uh, where Paul says bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, both in this life and in the life to come. And I, I've, I've always found it interesting that Paul affirms the, like the, that there is value in bodily training. I've always found that interesting. Um, right. and I think there is a level of, uh, like if you're, if you're self-controlled enough to make it to the breaking point of a good workout and then go home and not engorge yourself on on all the carby food in your home and you know all this stuff that's temptation when you're broken down right the man who knows how to control himself in a state of weakness through exercise is also the man who knows how to control himself when facing temptations when facing like stress at work when facing you know a family that's you know the kids are screaming and running around right so the, you know self-control yeah, is no, built no, through totally. bodily I training no, I, I think I think you're spot on there, Jeremy, that there is or it so, you know, maybe speaking out of my own experience here, but that like there is something that is like contagious about discipline where, you know, it's like if I if I am disciplined in some areas of my life, it's so much easier for me to be disciplined in other areas of my life, you know, but if I am like lax, it is, you know, that that's also infectious as well. So it's like if I'm exercising regularly it's so much easier for me to think about eating rightly. It's so much easier for me to think about, you know, being productive at work and, you know, like, like applying myself well. But it's like, man, if I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to sleep in, that just like sets me off totally wrong for the rest of the day. And it's so much harder to be disciplined in the other areas of my life. And and so so I think that there is um, something that is pretty like cognitive about it where it's like sure the exercise is good for your body but i think i i think you're right that there is something more cognitive and and even spiritual about that that um like forcing yourself into a structure well so i think we figured it out then crossfit is the thorn in paul's flesh <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing that makes him weak so that the lord can build him up again I think there we're totally is. well, and, and I can and I can attest to that because I was actually crossfitting with Jonathan uh, last Saturday, and I was talking to a friend, another friend who uh, leads some CrossFit stuff. I saw him the, uh, yesterday, and I told him I said I did the CrossFit training on Saturday, and on Wednesday my arms were still sore, <laughs> so I can definitely yep. definitely attest to that. So. Yeah, and I and I hate wall balls. So there, um, <laughs> I I hate them, but I love them. There's another paradox for you. Yeah. So um, what's cool 
that and and i'm gonna go on if that's cool you guys oh yeah totally I, like we're kind of isogeting the passage at this point <laughs> which is like literally <laughs> the opposite of the point of this podcast i mean it's not that i don't think that the it's not that i don't think the discussion of exercise wasn't relevant to the question at all sorry i don't mean to like that's not what i meant john but we are sort of like completely getting away from the point <laughs> yeah no, so. we're, we're we're having a great tangential discussion but let's let's get back into the scripture <laughs> right so the um so what is cool though is paul ha does this praying this it says three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should leave me look in verse nine then it says but he said to me so paul's what do i want to say perseverance and his realization of where the thorn was coming from and his fervent prayer about it resulted in and i'm not gonna say cause and effect because it doesn't always happen but look what happens god speaks to him and he said, and he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So in response to Paul's, what reminder and his thorn and his subsequent prayers about it, God in turn reveals this part of himself to Paul. And I think that's something that's maybe not touched on in when you look at this scripture, but I thought it was such a cool consequence i'll call it of that that um god actually revealed these two really important points to him that his grace was sufficient for paul so don't worry about the thorn i've got you right and then he says and then this is really the kind of the answer to the to the paradox he says for my power is made perfect in weakness and i know that and and again i'm not super up on the Greek, but I know that at least part of that definition of made perfect is the idea of being completed, right? Or finished or getting towards finished, I guess I'll say made perfect is in, I forget what tense it is, but it's in the process of being made perfect, right? Of being made complete, right? And so I thought that was really cool that God reveals himself to Paul, right? Like that. Well, and, and it's interesting that like you talk about power being perfected in weakness, which you said and, and I think you're right, has like a, a sense of completion, uh, reaching its telos, we might say. <laughs> it's being finalized. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, it's interesting that God says that to Paul when Jesus Christ is God clothed in human weakness. You know, like, so God's power is perfected in weakness. In Paul, sure, but in an even more final sense, uh, in in the person of christ who suffered on the cross and that suffering on the cross was the means by which god reconciled the world to himself right like god god won through the the torture of exactly his son. exactly i'm exactly and the weakness right and, and even though it was even though it was something he gave himself for it was still he didn't do anything to stop true yeah, well, and th okay, oh, three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asks for the, the cup to be taken from him. So it's almost like some deliberate echoes here that Paul is, you know, Paul Paul prays three times probably to be like Christ. Uh, just, just no, no, I, I, <laughs> no, I think I think that's a great, great connection point that you just made there, Jeremy, because, you know, and because because we get the same idea in in plenty of other places in, in Paul's discussion as well of, you know, I'm thinking of uh, um, where is it in the beginning of, uh, I think, Philippians, where it says, you know, it's been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer, 
you know, and this idea that you're like the sufferings of the Philippians is something that's being granted to them. Um, or I think of, uh, I, I cannot right. for the life of me remember the reference for this, but it's, you know, uh, you know, talking about us like being, you know, sharing in the sufferings of Christ or like, you know, filling up or, you know, completing the like suffering of Christ. Um, where, where, where is that? Uh, does, is someone got that reference for me? Where, where is that, that, that we're, I, I don't, but it, it sure sounds like Romans. It's in first Peter. First Peter. Uh, are you talking it's about first um, Peter? Okay. Yeah. Like, do not be surprised at the fiery trial you are undergoing as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Yes. Okay. So that yeah, your yeah, yeah. suffering may be complete or so that you're sorry, so that your joy may be complete. Yes. I'm not hundred percent on that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's that one. I think there's another place that talks about us like completing our, it's, it's, it, it's a very interesting passage because it almost like gives the idea that like Christ's work is incomplete until it is completed in us. Um, but, but in, in, oh, anyway, I found it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I found it, John. Where is it? Yeah, Colossians one twenty four. I I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. There it is. Okay, yeah. And so, so this this idea of us, like our sufferings, are a participation in Christ's sufferings as well. And you know, and and so this idea of as like even as Christ suffered in His body, our sufferings are also like our our sufferings in our body are a way that we are joined with Christ and that we are made like him exactly exactly i and i think that's one of the main ways that we're made like him right and so what was interesting was jeremy was talking about you know Christ's example of humility and i remember the passage in philippians 2 right and 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 where paul says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And then it goes down and it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name of the love every name. So Jesus made himself nothing. And then God exalted him to the highest place. Right. That's kind of the. You also see this. Uh, you also see this in like Stephen's stoning in Acts. Right. That like. That there's this really emotional narrative of how Stephen accuses his listeners of being the ones who persecuted the Messiah, right? And they rush at him and they they throw him out of the synagogue, they stone him, right? And they the narrator of Acts, Luke, says that Stephen sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, right? So it's it's sort of like as the whole world you know, reduces Stephen to the weakest possible position, that of a, a mob murdering him. Right. Right. There, there, the Lord is, you know, and the son of man usually does not stand at the right hand of God. And at pretty much every other context I can think of, he's seated at the right hand of God. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly. almost like the son of man is like responding. The Lord is like acknowledging and being there as a witness to Stephen's sufferings as his vindicator. And Saul is standing there holding the coats. While these people are stoning him, like the, the impression that must have had. Oh, interesting. On Paul, right? Yeah, I yeah, never realized the, the standing of... part. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the. Yeah. What were you gonna say, John? Oh, yeah, no, I was just gonna say no. That 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 that's a great observation of the 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 foil that's being set up of like the son of man standing in. Yeah, this idea that, that it it almost is like Christ has like risen up to to like to like to stand in uh uh yeah like vindication of Stephen where 
Saul is standing in judgment and, and sort of like the, the contrast between those two figures. I don't know. It just really stuck out to me. Exactly. There. exactly. And, and uh, furthermore, Stephen's stoning, you know, scares the church. They realize we need to find a place to, you know, have a safe base of operations here if this religion's going to survive, you know. So what they, what they do is they go them. everywhere. They, they're scattered, right? And what does that do? I don't know. Bring Christianity to the whole freaking world. Like it's it's one of these like exactly. you know amazing um like the, this moment of weakness uh is like the strongest possible triumph of the church. It it haunts Saul, and later he becomes the the spreader of Christianity everywhere. Uh, th these people who are terrified over this murder, you know, go everywhere, and, and uh, so it's 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 really just yeah. The more you think about it, the more you realize that scripture is almost just this whole long story of people who are beat down by the enemies of God and their their beating down is the triumph of God's people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean and um so what you're saying is really true and it makes me think about my question to you guys about the Old Testament people who won big fights, right? So like consider Gideon. Gideon was a guy from the smallest clan in the smallest tribe in Israel, hiding in a hole of a wine press because he was afraid of the Midianites who were oppressing Israel. And the angel goes to greet him as the brave and mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, what are you talking about? I'm hiding out. So Gideon had nothing. And as a matter of fact, Gideon had to put out not one but two fleeces to really know that God was with him. But once he knew and once he had that God-centered view of stuff, he became a mighty warrior. And 300 people beat 185,000 because of God's power through Gideon, right? And all these years later, just look how many hotels he's filled with Bibles. <laughs> how about that? How about that? Absolute hero. The other one, so the other one I was reminded of was, and Ehud is a good example, but a long time ago, I actually uh, uh, did a sermon on Shamgar. I got one verse. Shamgar was one of the judges in Israel, and all we know about him is that he killed 600 people with an ox goat. Now, I don't know if that was all at once <laughs> or if he was just 600 and 0 in his career, but the odds of him being able to do that are pretty low. So it was clear that God's power was with him as well. One guy against 600, and he comes out on top. Well, that has to be God working, right? And so God takes people who are weak. And I'll kind of turn it back to humble. And his strength is shown and made complete and perfected through their lives once they get on, right? Once they get on God's agenda. Dude, Shamgar, don't mess with, the, don't mess with him. Shamgar, he's he my guy. 600 people and the author of Judges only had room for one verse about him. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. My 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 pastor gave me the one verse, and he said he said we were doing a series on the judges, and he said, "Can you do the next judge?" And I go, "Great, it's Shamgar, and it's one verse. It's Judges two thirty one." And I'm like, "What what am I gonna do?" Okay, I'm this weak guy, and I'm gonna use God's power to preach thirty five minutes on one verse. In scripture, <laughs> there you go. Right. So yeah, so that's how that worked out. One of my actually one of my favorite messages that I've preached. So it's one of my favorite messages that you preach too. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate that. So, um, so I was thinking about those Old Testament guys, right? And and again, God's power is made perfect in our weakness, also, right? And that's why the paradox works, 
when we're weak, when we empty ourselves, like Paul did with his thorn, like Jesus did with his life, right? Like Gideon did putting out his little fleeces. When we empty ourselves, right? That's when God can move in and show his power through us. That's why the paradox works. So it's really, really cool. Um, yeah, or, you the, know, I think last, of, uh, um, oh, you know, the, the, the passage, well, it's in, it's in 1 Corinthians 1, right? Where, you know, Paul's like, oh, I'm so glad that, that none of you guys are like good speakers or rich or influential because, you know, then, then once like God does all of these great things, nobody's going to be able to mistake it as like some great thing that you guys did. <laughs> exactly. The, the, the left-handed compliment. Yeah, work, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Ehud compliment, right? There you go. <laughs> it's an Ehud, left before, before you know it, you're, you know, stinking up the place. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in the last couple of verses, so, so we have Paul. He's reminded to stay humble, and then God reveals his grace and power. And then what does Paul do in response to that? He resolves to be content with adversity. So there we are in verse 10, and he says, as Jeremy noted before, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content. And he says in the last half of verse 9, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. And he says, I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, right? So Paul mm -hmm. has this resolution that he says, okay, so I'm weak. I have this thorn. And God says, it's there so that I can be powerful through you. And then Paul says, oh, really? Well, I'm going to tell everybody about all my weaknesses and all my problems because then God will shine through me even more. It's time for the other meat. So I was thinking about, you know, applications for that. And one of them I thought of was it says God's power is perfected in our weakness. It's important then for us to maintain a humble posture all the time. Right. That's 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 how we're going to get. God's message to other people is not necessarily and not at all really what we're doing, but it's going to be God working through us. And so I was thinking about, well, how do I stay humble? You know, when I was a kid, not much younger than you guys, I used to say, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. Right. And <laughs> so that's, so that's a joke, but to be just brutally honest here, when I was in my early teens, I, it was kind of a joke, but I kind of did feel that way. I was good in school. A lot of people liked me. I made people laugh. I impressed parents. I was doing pretty good. And I really took a lot of that in for myself, right? So we have to stay humble. So here's my would you rather for you guys. This is my second would you rather question. So would you rather, would you rather pursue being humble proactively or would you rather be taught humility? Like is it? One of them once a year and the other every time you get in a car or. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just in life. This one's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. This one is funny because um, on the surface, it's pretty easy. You'd rather pursue humility. Wouldn't you rather do it proactively than have to get what, what some people refer to as God's two by four, right? <laughs> right. But um, on the other hand, sometimes those teaching experiences can be pretty impactful for us, like it was for Paul. Well, I, th I think, yeah, being taught humility, when you contrast it with pursuing it, makes it sound like we're passively just kind of letting God take us to the woodshed, right? But I think it can also have, like, for me, 
for example, having a child is probably the most humbling experience that's ever happened to me, you know, even though it's also the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, right? But there is a certain level of humility you're taught from being a parent um, that I don't think you learn anywhere else. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you could possibly learn the particular lessons in humility that I learned since becoming a dad. Now, that doesn't mean that unmarried or childless people aren't more humble than me. I'm sure there are many out there. I, I struggle with humility, you know. Well, but 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 they're going to have other vehicles of teaching. Sure, right? or other particular elements of their life that they're humbler about. And, you know, like, so, you know, it's a complicated thing because humility is so broad, right? Uh, so, yeah, so I don't know, though, like, so be taught humility. Well, uh, you know, because you could pursue humility and have a tough time getting it, you know. But being taught it is the sure. word like, look, I got you. <laughs> like, my grace right. is sufficient right. for you, right? So I'm going to show you how my power is made right. perfect in weakness. Um, here's this thing that cries and poops a lot. And <laughs> your ability to have sheer autonomy over your life is gone. You know, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I don't know. That's yeah. kinda, <laughs> a, I kind of am leaning towards being taught humility, honestly. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I think I, I think I hear that, Jeremy, and, I, you know, maybe not to like nitpick the question too much, but yeah, I, I think there is a piece of of the, or perhaps maybe if I could, if I could answer a different question, and that is, you know, would I, would I, you know, rather like receive humility or have it foisted upon me, and um, <laughs> it's. I so I think I think I would I would yes definitely pick the receiving receiving humility but I because I, I I think it's interesting that you say being taught humility um you know it makes me think of uh um sorry I'm just full of like you know oh it makes me think of this other passage uh <laughs> today but I guess that's just what you're gonna get um what is it in Hebrews twelve you know where you get the quotation of you know my son do not make light of the Lord's discipline um you know for he disciplines those he loves. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's this idea of, uh, uh, you know, like our, our sonship of being adopted into God's family is marked by also receiving God's discipline. Um, you know, and, and so this, it's like, I, you know, I, I think there is a piece where it's, yeah, I would agree with you, Jeremy, that I do want to be, I want to be taught humility because, you know, there, there is something in, me pursuing humility is like limited by my ability to understand my own need for humility. <laughs> you know, where, where, where the Lord's teaching me humility is, uh, you know, limited by his knowledge, which is unlimited. Which is unlimited. Yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point. And you know, the, the thing about the kids too is, um, cause I know both you guys are young fathers and I'm an older, older father. And, um, you know, you think you talk about teaching humility and disciplining your sons, and you guys are aware of this. You you, you guys are not going to spoil your kids rotten. You're not going to give them everything they want. You're not going to do everything, you know, no matter how much they cry or stomp their feet. My little grandson is not going to get everything that he wants. And it's right <laughs> and proper that he and he's should. very good at crying oh, and stomping oh, his yes. feet. Oh, <laughs> yes. And if he's half as good at that as he is at dancing, I'm, I'm amazed that you haven't given him the things. But... 
Um, so he, um, <laughs> it is hard sometimes. Well, that's yeah, for sure. yeah, and and that's <laughs> well, they do stuff like point at knives in the kitchen, and they get mad when you don't give give, give the knife to them. <laughs> no, no. And so it's so it's right and proper that they should be withheld things that they want, and to kind of go back and you know, Paul's praying to have this thorn removed from him, but God has a better plan for him, right? So it, there's even that there. So. Um, the thing about um, pursuing humility that I was thinking about was, um, you know, what, what are things that we can do to ourselves where we can look at our lives and we can make improvements, right? How can we do better in, our, in this pursuit of humility? Because I think you guys are exactly right. The being taught humility can be, you know, more impactful. And if it's coming from the Lord, he knows what's best. Um, and, but, but also consider that uh, being rational thinking human beings, right? We can also do things to pursue that. So I, I was thinking of a couple of, uh, of cases. So in terms of being humble with God, um, I was thinking about this analogy. So there's a house in my neighborhood. It's down the street. And um, it used to, uh, I live in a neighborhood that has a lot of trees. And so this front yard, imagine this front yard of a house. It has uh, four big, giant, tall um, cedar trees in the yard. It has a little patch of grass. It has a little rock uh, outline wall. So the yard looks very nice and it's very proper, right? And so it's good. So one day I hear this noise outside and I go down there and my neighbor's cutting down all of his trees. And so he had them all cut down. Then he had the stump guys come in and take out all the stumps. And then he had the guys with the dirt come in and re-level his whole front yard. And what he did was he planted just, it's all grass. So this yard that had all these trees is now just this, I call it a blank canvas. He can do whatever he wants with it now, right? And I was thinking about my life and thinking about, do I have areas in my life where I have built up trees and grass and rocks and all of this cool that looks nice, but maybe it's of my making. And I'm wondering, maybe I need to take all that out, plant grass and see what God wants. Not, yeah, maybe, maybe for me, because I'm, so time oriented more than place oriented i feel like my version of that would be like what am i doing to maximize my schedule that maybe shouldn't be maximized right like maybe actually my life and the lives of my family and those around me would all be better off and more holy and more fulfilled and happy if i didn't do that but i prayed instead or heck, just like, I don't know, did nothing, <laughs> you know, like just allowed, allowed a different thing to happen each week during that time slot. Right. It, it, see what happens where things take me, you know? Yeah. Just, just hung out. Right. Because a lot of times, sometimes it's been the case in my life where I've been really heavily involved in like church and sometimes too much involvement in church at the expense of your family may not be what God wants for you. It wasn't what he wanted for me. And so I had a lot of conflict when I was, you know, younger and, and doing things in that I would overcommit. And there were some things that there were some trees that need to be taken out, you know, of my front yard kind of. So pastor burnout is largely because of that. Like it's exactly it's super, super common. Um, like it, if you don't keep short accounts with your family and with God, uh, the demands and needs of your congregation can become overwhelming. And and pastors do like good pastors who really mean well. They're not wolves. They entered 
the ministry for noble uh, reasons, you know, will will harbor and cherish secret habitual sin uh, as a means of coping emotionally with their failure to handle their responsibilities um, in a way that honors God, and, and particularly their families. You know? right. And of course, that that often takes the form of sexual sin. That's the most common. Um, and you know, yeah. and I think it's often yeah. because pastors are not managing their time well between their families and their churches, and it destroys churches. I mean, at the very least, it eventually destroys the pastor. Uh, uh, you know, in an ideal circumstance, if they are noble intentioned, they will typically repent once it becomes known. You know, but uh, but sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, and you think about what the root of all that is. You know, a pastor, like you said, well-meaning pastor or leader or elder, I mean, insert, insert, you know, the person noun you want to, right, is trying to do the good work, but he's really, at the end of the day, he's figuring it out himself, and that's not the way that God may want him to go, right? And that's where it all starts from. So, so there's that. And then the other thing I was thinking about in terms of this idea of pursuing or Improving our humility, maybe there's a way to put it, is our relationships with others. So my sister has this uh, verb she uses, and it's one of my favorite verbs. It's shoulding. So should is usually a helper verb, right? But she's using it as its own verb. She calls it shoulding. And so imagine saying, you should do this, or you should do that, or you should think like me. My sister calls that shoulding. And really what it is, is it's judging. And um, so, um, you know, the other side of that, the humble side of that is really understanding, right? So you're not judging and foisting your thoughts and your opinions and your values out there, right? You're not pushing those out. You, you, instead, you are going to have a dialogue and a discussion, and you're going to seek to understand the other person's point of view. And um, I know there's been a lot of discussions lately um, with masks masks and vaccinations and everything for this pandemic right and and so maybe instead if i'm having a discussion with somebody about vaccination instead of me saying for example you should go get vaccinated right maybe i should see where they're at and have a discussion with them and understand where they're coming from before i start shooting right so this idea about seeking to understand instead of just jumping in with your opinion is another way maybe that we could kind of dial it back a little and exercise a little humility and listen to the other person, right? Shooting. I like it. <laughs> you know, just th- those are just a couple of ideas that I thought of. But like I said, you know, I think this idea about being humble is is really important. And I think it's kind of at the essence of what um, you know, this verse is, is really talking about. Um, so could I add perhaps, uh, Oh yeah, please do. do. And then Jonathan, you've been quiet for a while, so maybe you're thinking, but if you have anything, you know, you want to add in, please do. Well, maybe I'll add mine and then I'll let John riff on all of the things so far or add his own. (laughs) Um, but since I think, you know, for John and I, I know, and, and I'm sure for you, Tim, um, the importance of intellectual humility, or we might even say epistemological <laughs> humility. Uh, there's our million dollar word for the day. Uh, but but let's just stick with intellectual. Um, uh, I'll just say, if you know what epistemological humility is, you probably need some. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, this is this is uh, something I've had to cultivate uh, 
you know, because I think I'm, a, you know, I think I just know everything, right? And I, I think right. that's totally fine to be self-assured in one's own opinions. I mean, being wishy-washy is certainly not a virtue. Uh, but knowing which things you know the best, knowing which things you're, you don't know very well and you should listen on, you know. Uh, but also, like, the practice of simply being able to entertain an argument that you don't agree with is really important for nerds like me. Uh, like, so, you know, it, now if you're a Christian who, you know, you read a few books here and there, but you're not a bookish person, then you don't need to go out reading Nietzsche. You don't need to go read, like, the latest, you know, attack on Christ the Christian faith. <laughs> like, you know, it's probably not the best use of your time and your faith. But if you're a person who reads broadly, you should by no stretch of the definition ever just be reading books you agree with. Uh, you should be reading stuff you know you're going to disagree with. And, uh, and, and it's a humbling experience because you realize that way smarter people than you uh, think you're wrong about everything. <laughs> you right. know? And uh, in the Christian faith, or maybe they're Christians themselves who disagree with every element of your, your theology, your denomination, your tradition. Um, <clears throat> maybe you don't even think they're a good person. Right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they advocate something terrible, you know, but I think that the practice of having to follow them on their terms and understand why they reach their conclusions really helps like dial down the pride you so often see in Christian theology nerds and dial it down to the level of like, okay, all the truth I know was taught by the Lord. Like I didn't, I didn't receive it uh, through my own merit, my own just, you know, being able to own the libs with facts and logic, right? That's the <laughs> when, I, when I look at this passage and uh, see Paul's discussion of this, like, thorn in his flesh that prevents him from coming, becoming conceited, the way that I see that same kind of action in my, in my own life is in the area of, like, like what does it look like for me to... Uh, become conceited in something and, and, and how, how would it be that I would be prevented from becoming conceited? And, and, and I think that where I see that at play most in my life is in um, like almost a kind of entitlement where it's if like, if things are going well, it is easy for me to think that I deserve for things to go well. Or, you know, if I'm successful in something, it's easy to think that I deserve to be successful in in that thing where that that's really not the case, you know, and, and I mean, even kind of connecting it back to before uh, where I was saying it's like, you know, toward the end of the run, it's like I become grateful to be able to breathe, you know, and, and even that is like there is it's almost like I, you know, am shaken from this uh, uh, um fog over my mind that says like no it's like i don't even i don't i'm not even entitled to breath and how wonderful it is that i can breathe now um and it's it's like i need that in everything in my life that it's like certainly my my family is wonderful and a blessing to me and yet you know and i don't i don't deserve the fabulous wife that i have i don't deserve the the beautiful son that i have and you know like i'm not entitled to having these great gifts you know and yet it is it is something that the lord has given to me you know and 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 so i think the it is it is the elements of of like suffering and hardship and lack in my life 
that point me back to um like it's like this that like you know the lord says to paul like my grace is sufficient for you and it's like and when i look at my life i you know when 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 i am faced with that same question um you know that i i i think it's the same answer for me that the lord's grace is sufficient for me as well um and you know and i and i see in my life the not just sufficiency but overflowing goodness uh you know of god's grace to me um and so i i like i guess i would say that for maybe to to make it more concrete in in the area of humility of there there's a piece of humility i think that is really just like forcibly recontextualizing the elements of your life as gifts from god where you know even things as simple as breathing you know the breath that we have is god's grace to us right well and and you know what one of the ways i was thinking about describing that is you're recognizing the value of it, the real value of it, as as something that is from God, right? And and so, which again, it's turning our focus back to Him, turning our dependence back to Him, which is where it really belongs, right? Well, Paul says nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Um, you know, it's like the for so many things the. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, they say, right? And I think it can also be paved with good things. Absolutely. A a nuclear family and a roof over your head and good investments and a stable career and kids who obey you and love you and a good marriage and, you know, stable church membership where you're serving. Every single one of those things means nothing if it's not received with thanksgiving and humility. In fact, they could be received to your eternal judgment if all of those things are solely you're, you're attributing to yourself. Right. Right. Absolutely true. Yeah. Even though they're all good things. <laughs> and, oh, no, and, they're all good things. And, you know, something yeah. that Christians, if they can achieve it, with, you know, without sinning to do so, should, in fact, achieve it. They should seek it. You know? So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, thanks for those. Thanks for those insights. And one thing that's really cool is... Um, you guys are really bringing a lot to this really cool passage. I really appreciate it. I also really appreciate you guys being open too. Um, and John, you can keep this in the podcast or not, but I did want to say that um, as I'm, as I'm kind of wrapping up. Um, and so the last kind of application I was thinking about was, you know, so what happens when you're in a struggle? What happens when things are going wrong and you don't have the right mindset? What happens when you're blaming? What happens when you're struggling, right? And I was I was thinking about um, remembering all the things that God has done for us, right? In the Old Testament, there's lots of examples where um, there were stone piles erected or something was done to cause remembrance, right, by the Israelites, right? And we can have those same things in our lives when we remember all the good things that God has done for us. They can help spur us on, right, to further humility too. So my other kind of application question is, think about a time, and you guys don't have to answer this, but it's just something to think about, right? When in the past has God come through for you? When has he been strong in your weakness, right? When have you seen that happen in your life? And 
you know, again, like John was saying before, when you recognize that as a gift from God, then, right, it helps encourage you and strengthen you. I know you asked it as a personal question, but I kind of want to extend it to the church broadly uh, in 2021. Sure. I don't think it's any secret that, Mm -hmm. uh, like, Christian values are roundly mocked and rejected by the vast swath of Western culture, which once was predominantly Christian, right? And I think a lot of people see that as like, we're losing, you know, and even though they're, most Christians would have an understanding that like, okay, but that doesn't mean we'll lose forever. That doesn't mean God isn't on his throne, which is all great. I'm glad that people, <laughs> you know, hopefully are not getting too despondent over what's happening in culture. But there's also this element of it, which is like, right. Yeah, we wouldn't ask to be in this circumstance, but frankly, like, the church has needed some purification for a while in terms of, like, how we understand ourselves in relation to the world, right? And something I was reflecting on with my family recently is, like, just how obvious it will be to my son that he is a Christian and the world is not. Like, <laughs> just just how abundant, yeah, just how abundantly That's obvious That's it will super be interesting. that we are different than everyone around us. Um, which was simply not the case when I was growing up. Uh, like I had to figure out in high school for myself, Yeah. like, oh, I'm different from my unbelieving friends, but mostly not <laughs> like in most external ways, you really wouldn't tell you would have to see right. what's going nope. on behind the scenes, you know, but it's like, uh, yeah, like the most fundamental aspects of reality are now under dispute by those in, in, you know, secular cultural elites who run the public schools, who run the, you know. So it's like the fact that my son is going to believe that, you know, he could only ever be a son is going to make him weird in the eyes of most of his peers. And that's a blessing in disguise, I think. Right. Because uh, I had challenges with my faith. Sure and I just is. don't think my sure son will. <laughs> He'll have different ones, for sure. <laughs> right. Because what you're saying is because of the clarity between yes, the world yeah, I think and the, the, the contrast is going to be unbelievable right. for a little while here. Like, you know, and, and culture changes that, you know, it could just be a few decades and then things will change. But, you know, I, I don't think we're getting out of this anytime soon. <laughs> so certainly like my kids, I think their right. upbringing would right. be one of right. like, yeah, like daddy, why does everybody else disagree with us Uh, right and then you get to explain it to him right and say here's what's going on and i mean you know good 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 luck having that discussion with your son that's a hard discussion but but you're right it's and and it's a good discussion to have so this weakness this weak position of the church could be the very thing that causes its revival just look at china right officially persecuted millions of people worshiping in defiance of the secular satanic state, right? Just millions. Uh, (laughs) Honestly, probably the Chinese church is one of the strongest, most faithful Christian movements in history. And they're about as weak as it gets. Right. And and that could be, yeah, and that could be as a direct result of their You definitely don't have a whole lot of wishy-washy believers (laughs) in that environment. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, can't, can't do that there. Right. And so, um, so that's a good, that, that's a really good thing to bring up and kind of bring it out kind of to the church context. I do appreciate that. 
it's time for milk, not solid food. So yeah, so that's kind of what I had. I did have a closing verse, um, and um, it's I, I'll give it to you guys, and you can if it, it well the closing verse is, and I was remembering this um, uh, where it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, and. You know, what was interesting to me, there were two things that were interesting to me about that verse. The first is, um, it's actually in two different books. The same the same phrase is in James and it's in First Peter. Now, I'm pretty sure they didn't collaborate, right, when they wrote their epistles. So I'm wondering if they, uh, if it was kind of signed of a saying of the day and they both kind of used it or capitalized on it. And if so, you know, and, and the other thing that's cool let me just back up for a minute. The other thing that's cool about it is that both verses are in the context of being humble servants, right? So we want to be humble servants, right? Because we certainly do not want to oppose God, right? Yeah, we want the grace, <laughs> that, that sufficient grace for sure. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Would you rather be proud every time you get in the car or be humble once again? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or be proud once a year with a sword. There you go. <laughs> well, if I had a sword and I knew how to use it, I would be proud. That would be that would be a tough, a tough moment of, of temptation for me. <laughs> so, listen, I did want to say again, you guys, thanks so much for having me on, and I really, really enjoyed this time together. So, thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, dude, it was the best. Yeah, thanks so much for preparing this for us, Dad, and uh, for the listeners of our podcast. Uh, so, this is our first special guest. Uh, we're hoping to line up some more just because, uh, I don't know this. Well, I think this episode speaks for itself. This has been great. Tim exposed the depths of our hearts here. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. so I, Mission accomplished. I gained a lot from this episode, but, uh, we got some more people. We're hoping to, to, uh, just mix it up a little bit. Uh, show us some things we haven't, haven't seen before in scripture, uh, and maybe have some laughs along the way. So uh, <laughs> there you go. hopefully this won't be the last special guest we have on here. Uh, and maybe not the last time we have him. <laughs> I hope I can come back. That would be great. I'd love to. I'd like to hear your take on the Nephilim. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Next time we pick the verse, Tim, we're going to give you a challenging one. There we go. There we go. <laughs> there you yeah, go. yeah. Your, your first time on the podcast, For... you get to pick the verse. The second time on the podcast, we get to pick the verse. <laughs> we. <laughs> <laughs> when Jesus goes That's... and preaches to the spirits in prison yeah. in hell. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Challenge accepted, I think, is the uh, response. Yeah, so what does it mean to be saved through childbearing? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I know. You guys have good ones. (laughs) Well, I think we're just, I think we're kind of creating our schedule for the next few episodes on the fly here, John. For sure. These sound like good ones to do. (laughs) See, well, I mean, the the funniest part of this is, uh, uh, you know, so dad did, uh, he he was the the leader of the the youth group at at, at, uh, our church for, for years and years and years and it was pretty frequently that dad would do a like an ask me anything uh asterisk except from song of song or song of songs uh uh (laughs) you know like bible bible questions night at youth groups and so like honestly dad's answered most of these questions already (laughs) (laughs) sweet dude sometimes so so in my in in, you know uh, Sometimes my answer was, I'll have to get back to you. Sure. 
No, there's some intellectual humility. Yeah, there we go. There you go. There's some epistemological humility. Great. (laughs) There you go. That's awesome. Well, in the words of the immortal philosopher Porky Pig, that's all, folks. We thank you for joining us. If anything you heard today has sent you into a blind theological rage, feel free to lambast us on social media. Alternatively, if you liked what you heard, have Bible verses you want us to break down or questions you think we can answer, or guests you want us to invite on, you can send them to thejohn315podcast at gmail.com. That's thejohn315podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.